Hello, welcome to this Monday afternoon episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. Um, a couple things before we jump into this episode. This episode is brought to you by Bill Bar. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. You can go to BillBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Um, you know, also, guys, please, if you listen to this podcast um, in the United States and you're from the United States, Please go out tomorrow, exercise your right to vote. Um, this election is probably one of the most important elections of our lifetime. Um, tomorrow is going to be a shit show. There will not be a podcast tomorrow for obvious reasons, but just I'm not going to get political or anything um, on this podcast and never like to, but you know, just please go out tomorrow and exercise your right to vote. And finally, uh, over the weekend, you know, I did I did make a big mistake on the uh, Friday episode, for Thursday or Friday episode of this podcast. Uh, you know, I didn't notice it at first, and then King Clarky sent it to me, and then I half noticed it, and then when I really looked down and read it, I was like, wow, you know, I really uh, fucked that one up. Um, Yes, Austin Matthews is would be on Team USA, not Team Canada. The fact that I said that he would be on Team Canada's roster is absolutely embarrassing. I, it's probably one of the worst um, mistakes that I've ever made on this podcast. And even though I thought it was kind of funny, you know, it was also pretty embarrassing. I have no idea how I messed that up. So again, I apologize for that. I totally just fucked that one up. But the point still stands with, you know, Canada at the next Olympics with, you know, they can run Cindy Crosby, Connor McDavid, Jonathan Taves, I mean, Jamie Benn, the list goes on at center, John Tavares, if they want. Hell, you know, those guys are all Canadian players. So I'm glad I got that one right. But, you know, for this segment, we'll touch on some, a little bit of news that came out from the league around the weekend. Dominic Cahoon recently signed yesterday with the Edmonton Oilers. We're going to touch on that. Also touch on how the Oilers are having a good offseason. Also, I think it was today, NHL.com ranked the top 20, their top 20 defensemen around the NHL. Um, actually, no, it came out yesterday, my mistake. Um, so we're just going to go through that, see if they embarrassed themselves with the list, and just see if the top five was okay. See if they put someone on here like Drew Doughty, who was probably the most overrated player in the league. He has just not been good for a few years now, and... You know, people just like to hype him up, you know, when talking about Team Canada's rosters, you know, to hype him up on EA Sports NHL. I think he's like the third highest ranked defenseman on there or something like that, which is pretty pathetic. So we're going to touch on that in the next segment. And then for the last one, you know, I'm going to start this, you know, series. Just it's going to be every episode, just one segment um, per episode. And, you know, we're just going to do player by player season reviews. Um, Today, we're going to start with John Marino. You'll look at his season, you know, look ahead to next year for him. And we're going to continue to do that in each episode with one segment. But remember, guys, there are only three episodes a week now due to the uh, offseason. We still have no idea when the NHL is going to come back. I would imagine it's going to stay the same into December as well. But anyway, let's uh, let's get into this episode. So Dominic Cahoon, last night, Elliot Friedman tweets it out. I'm trying to actually go find the tweet right now. One year, I think it was 975 k to the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, that's a nice deal for Cahoon. I mean, I don't know why the Buffalo Sabres were so hell-bent on not giving him that. I thought Cahoon was good for Buffalo in the little bit of games that I watched him play. And, you know, he, he's a very versatile forward. You know, he can play anywhere in the lineup. You can put him in the top six with if there's injuries. You can put him in the bottom six in a perfect world, and he's a good goal scorer, good playmaker, can play on the PK. Hell, you can play him on your second power play unit if you want. And, you know, this is another really good move by the Oilers, and Ken Holland is honestly killing this offseason for them. I know their goaltending situation is not good going into next season. I think they brought back Mike Smith again for Lord knows why. I guess they didn't uh, get Jacob Markstrom, even though that contract was going to be pretty bad as well. Then I think they brought the that other guy back, um, Koskinen, I think is his name. 
and he really didn't do that hot either. So, you know, besides that, I mean, I think the Oilers have had a good offseason. They signed Tyler Ennis to a cheap deal. He's been fine throughout his career. I'm trying to go through their other signings here. I believe they also signed Kyle Turris. I think it was two years, not even two million or something like that. Okay, I just actually brought them out. I mean, Tyson Berry, one year, 3.75 million. If Berry can get his value back up, he's going to get paid next year. So that, again, that's a great deal. We already talked about Mike Smith. They brought Jesse Pujarvi back two years, 1.175 million per. Seth Griffin, Adam Cracknell, Patrick Russell, Anton Forsberg, and no baby little cheap minimum one-year deals. But, you know, they're not spending a lot of money on these deals. And, you know, a player like Barry, Tyler Ennis, Kyle Turris, Dominic Cahoon, those are valuable players that you can put in your bottom six. And, you know, Turris is going to be the big one there. I mean, it's only one point, what is it, 1.6 million for two years. Um, If he can get his value back up again, he's probably going to get paid as well. But, you know, but going back to Dominic Cahoon, this was a player that I wish the Penguins would have brought back. Um, You know, his rookie season in Chicago, 13 goals, 37 points in 82 games. I mean, I was actually reading a piece from Matt Larkin of the Hockey News and he put some very interesting stats in here that I figured I would share with you guys. So he says, you know, during this stretch, you know, from Chicago to Pittsburgh, 340 forwards have played a thousand or more minutes at even strength. Cahoon ranks 60th out of those 340 in points for 60, which easily rates him as a top six forward. He's 25th in primary assist per 60 minutes, in- indicating he's a high-end play creator. His teams outscore opponents 87 to 64 with him on the ice at 5v5 so far in his career. I mean, obviously he played a lot of Chicago with jo- Alex Brinkin and Jonathan Taves, and then he also played in Pittsburgh with Evgeny Malkin. So, I mean, if they want, I mean, you can put him with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, and you would probably get pretty good results with him. But I think they were probably just going to put him on the second line, maybe with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, put him in the bio and bottom six with Kyle Turris, Tyler Ennis, something like that. But a player like Cahoon has always gone under the radar. I mean, you know, 975K, I would have much rather seen the Penguins do that than throwing money out the window to Cody freaking CeCe. I mean, like that's just the reality of the situation there. And honestly, I mean, I would rather have him at seven or 975K than Evan Rodriguez at 700K. I mean, I think if your offseason was bringing back Cahoon and you bring in Jankowski, I think that would have been better than Rodriguez and Jankowski because I think a third line of Cahoon with McCann and Jankowski would be, it would just be an upgrade because Cahoon actually brings much more goal scoring ability than Evan Rodriguez does. I mean, hell, he brings more goal scoring ability than Mark Jankowski does and playmaking ability for that matter. And, you know, you combine that with Jared McCann, who's coming off a really bad second half of the season, and that is, I think, grounds for a big bounce back year for both of those players. So I would have much rather preferred that, but you know, Jim Rutherford wanted to do his own thing, bring back Evan Rodriguez and sign Jane Kowalski, you know, who are more just defensive-minded players than someone like Dominic Cahoon, who's more offensively gifted. And, you know, I mean, I personally, I do want my third line to be more offensively minded than defensively minded. I understand why teams want their third line to be, you know, more defensive, but you know, that's what you have your fourth line for. You know, the Penguins, well, the Penguins won those Stanley Cups in 2016 and 2017. They had three scoring lines. You bring back Dominic Cahoon and you combine him with Jared McCann, maybe Mark Jankowski, if he rediscovers his scoring touch from a season ago, that's a good third line, especially if it's scoring. And then you can have your fourth line with Teddy Bluger, Zach Aston, Reese, and Brandon Tanev. That's a good shutdown checking line. They don't allow a lot of chances in the defensive zone. They also clog up the neutral zone like it's nothing. So I would much prefer that than to what the Penguins have right now. And even this past season in Pittsburgh, I mean, he, this guy had 10 goals, 27 points in 50 games when he went over to Buffalo, played six games, two goals, four points. I mean, he was almost at a point per game pace up in Buffalo, and they were one of the worst teams in the league 
this past season. So, I mean, Cahoon in just a couple of seasons, I mean, 13 goals in his first year with Chicago, then, you know, 12 goals this past season. So he'll chip in 12 to 15 goals in Edmonton. And honestly, wouldn't surprise me if he gets close to 20, especially if he's playing top six minutes with McDavid and Dryside. Although I wouldn't expect that. I would expect him to maybe start with Ryan Nugent Hopkins or on the third or fourth line with that. So it's not the end of the world that the Penguins didn't bring him back. But, you know, at that asking price of not even a million for the value that he brings, if I were the Penguins, I would have brought him back and not have signed someone like Cody Cece or Evan Rodriguez to bring back because they didn't even play Rodriguez in the first place. But that's just my opinion on that. But before we get to trashing NHL.com's defensive rankings, because I'm sure they're going to be pretty bad, it's time to talk about Bill Farthers. 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, carrot cake, apple, almond, crisp, lemon, almond, cheeks, cake, cookies, and cream. The 12 original flavors, a few of them, orange, toffee, almond, coconut, peanut butter, brownie. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. One of my favorite flavors is still the coconut almond, 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. You can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. You can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Don't forget, guys, that's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. So let's just get into it. NHL.com ranked the top 20 defensemen in the league as is right now. So we're going to start. So first up, they have Morgan Riley at 20. I don't really mind that. I think Morgan Riley is definitely one of the best defensemen in this league. I mean, 20 goals last season, 72 points. He's really come into his own as a number one defenseman, and it won't be long before he cracks a lot of people's top tens. I mean, he probably already is a top ten defenseman, according to a bunch of people. Ryan Ellis, this guy does not get get as much love as he should. I think he's honestly one of the most underrated players in the entire league, 38 points last season, but he's really good defensively. He only played in 49 games. Um, ranked second on the Predators in ice time. He usually drives possession. He's great at what he does, and I'm glad that NHL.com actually put him in their top 20 because, I mean, you can honestly make an argument for him being in the top 10. He's just that good already. I'm going through this list. Eric Carlson at 18 is kind of a joke. I would still have him in my top 10 when fully healthy. Hell, I would probably have him in my top three to five when fully healthy. I know last season, 56 games, he had six goals and 34 assists. And I know he's been really banged out the last couple of years. But like I said, when this guy's healthy, he's a top three defenseman in this league. I mean, what he did with the Senators in 2017, which I mean, is not that long ago, was nothing short of a miracle, basically played on one leg for that entire playoff run and was still producing almost like a point per game, I think, for them. Outside of Nick Lidstrom, I think he's the best defenseman of this generation. He was on so many bad Ottawa teams for so long. I mean, it was so awesome that he finally got out of Ottawa. I mean, this was a guy in 2015-16, 80, had literally a point per game player, 82 points in 82 games. The next season after that, like I said, 71 points in 77 games. Even after that in Ottawa in 2017-18, he still had 62 points in 71 games, and that was a absolutely awful Ottawa Senators team. And yeah, I know the production has gone down the last couple of years because of injuries, and he is getting older. He's 30 years old, but you know, he's still in some of his peak years. And if he rediscovers some of that form that he had just a couple of years ago, there's going to be a lot of people eating crow on him. You know, I think 18 for Carlson is just ridiculously low, especially if he has a fully healthy season upcoming because he truly is a one man wrecking crew when he steps out onto the ice. Um, Jacob Slavin's on here. That's not a surprise. Shea Weber at 16. I mean, 
there was a time where I thought Shea Weber wasn't even the top 20 anymore, but he, he was good this past season, basically almost had 40 points, led the Canadians in ice time. You always know he has that booming shot. He scored at least 40 points nine times throughout his career, um, had 15 goals this past season. It was almost like a renaissance season for Weber. And yes, I know he's on that albatross of a contract that is going to end when we all die or something like that, but this is still a good player. I kind of look at that Subban for Weber trade a lot differently now than I did just a couple of years ago because PK has also fallen off quite a bit, but I think Weber has gotten better with age than Subban has, that's for sure. And then, you know, of course, Drew Doughty being at 15 is just pathetic. I don't care if he had 35 points last season. This guy's one of the most overrated players in the NHL. His production has been going down the last few years. He's also been getting older. He's also signed to this really long contract. I don't know what his exact cap hit is. I can actually look it up on cap friendly right now, but I think it's like nine, 10 million per something like that. Let me just check the Kings thing real quick. So, I mean, actually, no, it's 11 million per season. He's 30 years old. He signed for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more years. So he signed until 37. He's going to be making 11 million per, um, and he had, what did he have last season? 35 points. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. That's such an overpayment. He's not a good player anymore. There was a time where he was one of the top five to 10 best defensemen in the league. But I mean, those times have passed. This is not 2012 anymore. Hell, this isn't even 2015 anymore. I mean, his puck handling abilities up the ice have also diminished greatly these last couple of years. So, you know, anytime I get to dump on Drew Dowdy, I'm absolutely going to do that. We're not going to go through all these, but you know, I saw at 14 Shea Theodore's down there. I mean, he's probably in my top 10 at this point. I mean, he had 13 goals. 46 points this past season. Um, obviously leads the, leads them in ice time. He's great on the power play. He had 19 points in their 20 postseason games uh, as they almost got to the Stanley Cup final. He is a number one defenseman. He is going to keep getting better as well. The fact that the Ducks let him get away because they had that Kevin Bieksa contract on there is just nothing short of awful. I'm sure Bob Murray is really kicking himself right now over that. But there was one Penguin on list list. I'm sure you guys can guess it. They actually did give a lot of love to Chris Letang. They put him at number eight. And I've always said, you know, Chris Letang, when healthy, is a top 10 defenseman. Hell, when he is honestly doing his thing at an elite level, he is a top five defenseman in this league. I will die on that hill um, forever, to, to be honest with you guys. His 2015-16 season and in the playoffs that year was probably the best hockey I've ever seen Chris Letang play. Just that whole playoff run by him was just nothing short of extraordinary. I mean, he had 15 goals this past season, 44 points. I mean, he still drives possession, had six power play goals. The thing that always annoys me when people like just detract him is just like, oh my God, but he makes so many errors. Like it's time to trade Chris Letang after just one error during the game. It's like he plays in the most high leverage situations. Of course, he's going to make an error once or twice a game that maybe sometimes leads to a goal. Maybe sometimes it doesn't, but you know what? He still provides the most offense of any defenseman on this team. He's also great defensively in his own zone. So the people that just like to hate on Chris Tang for no reason are just like, those are the sad people I think about the Penguins fan base. I'm going through the rest here pretty quick. Dougie Hamilton being at number seven, that's fine. He's been awesome the last couple of seasons in Carolina. Kale McCarr, I mean, I'd honestly put him in my top five at this point. He's at number six, but you know, he's probably going to be the best, best defenseman in the league in the next couple of years. Seth Jones, yeah, I can see that too. I mean, that... 
That trade for Johansson, it looked pretty even for a long time, but as we've gotten further and further away from that deal, it's it's looking like a much better deal for Columbus. I mean, had 30 points last season. He leads them in ice time. Good on the PK. He has that booming shot. Good in the defensive zone. Drives possession. He's just absolutely outstanding, and he's really come into his own the last couple of seasons in Columbus. And, you know, he, he's only going to get better. He's still in the peak years of his career. I mean, Alex Petrangelo, again, at number four, that's fine. John Carlson being at number three is kind of annoying. I mean, he obviously, he is great offensively. He's really great on the power play at 75 points this last season, 60 assists. But defensively, he's trash. He's just really bad in the defensive zone. I remember when Evgeny Malkin just basically took his lunch money in that game. I think it was in February. I think a few games before the pause, and he just went around Carlson like it was nothing and scored that goal. I think the Penguins ended up losing that game four to three or five to three or something like that. But, you know, when I think of John Carlson's season besides the offense, I think of him just getting absolutely schooled in the defensive zone. And he also looked pretty bad in the defensive zone against the Islanders. He just seemed completely lost. I mean, I saw, remember Barzell was walking around him like it was nothing. Anders Lee was making him look bad. Honestly, every time the Islanders were out there against Carlson, they were just making him look bad. So I'd move Carlson further down the list. I'd probably still put him in my top 10, but he's not a top three defenseman right now. And then obviously at number two and number one, that's fine. Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi. These are easily the two best defensemen in hockey. I'm glad that Yossi won the Norris. He 100% deserved it offensively and defensively, since I'm glad the voters looked at both for this year's one. But then, you know, you get to Victor Hedman and, you know, outside of Carlson and Lidstrom, he's the best defenseman of this decade. He still drives possession at an elite rate, had 55 points this past season. He was absolutely ridiculous in the playoffs. I mean, that was one of the best uh, playoff runs by a defenseman I've ever seen. 22 points, 10 of those were goals. Um, he won the Con Smythe. Which, I mean, you could have given to a bunch of players on the Lightning, but I thought he deserved it the most. But that's basically it, you know, for this list here. I mean, they got it mostly right, which I'm surprised Hedman, Yossi, you know, moved John Carlson down to like eight or nine or something like that. Move Petrangelo up into the top three. Seth Jones and Kale McCarr can round out your top five. Then you can put, you know, Chris Letang, Dougie Hamilton. Charlie McAvoy, yeah, I mean, I'd maybe move him down a little bit. He's at number nine, but Haskinen is in my top 10 for sure. I put Haskinen over McAvoy any day of the week. Quinn Hughes is going to be a top five to 10 defenseman, probably starting next season. The fact, What he did with Vancouver this past season was just awesome. I love watching Quinn Hughes anytime I can. And then also, like I said, if Eric Carlson has a fully healthy season, expect him to produce quite a bit, you know, maybe up to the level that he had just a few seasons ago, even though he's 30 years old. So I really hope he proves a lot of people wrong, especially, you know, the person that made this list and put Carlson at 18. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. And it's time to start our regular segment where we do a player season review. And you know what? Let's start with the rookie sensation, John Marino, who took everyone by storm. And I'm not just talking about the Penguins. I'm talking about the whole league because if he was fully healthy for this entire season, he didn't miss a few weeks. I think he would have been on a lot of people's uh, Calder finalist ballots just because of how great he was defensively, even though the offense hasn't fully come for him yet. But still, you know, what a rookie campaign he had. Six goals, 26 points in 56 games. Possession lives, basically 51%. But, you know, the best part about his game, like I just said, was how great he was defensively. I mean, 
there are so many clips from almost virtually every game it looked like that Marino was making a great play defensively, you know, one-on-one against a player, two-on-two, even on the penalty kill, and he's just shutting them down like it's nothing. And just to put some of these stats in perspective for you all, you know, just going on natural stat trick and looking at him, you know, his goals for percentage was 56.4% through the regular season. His expected goals percentage, 54.4%. Scoring chances for 374. Scoring chances against 356. So on the positive side of that, you know, you go on over to high danger. His high danger chances for 155 in the offensive zone. His high danger chances against 130. Again, way on the positive for that. His high danger um, chances for percentage was around 54.3%. For on the ice, though, for high danger goals for 26 to 16, again, just outstanding numbers. That just goes to show that he's creating a lot of offense in the offensive zone despite the only 26 points that he had last season and that he's really shutting things down defensively as he's on the plus side of virtually every stat that I just mentioned. Perhaps his best stat that I saw here is high danger goals for percentage, almost 62%. He's controlling 62% of the high danger goals for percentage. That is just an elite number. That's not something you see around the league pretty often. It's just not, especially for a rookie defenseman who made his season debut. I mean, that just doesn't happen very much. But, you know, as for his playoff numbers, we really don't need to look at a four-game sample size for him. I mean, he was still one of their better to players in that i know a lot of the players stunk it up but for him i mean he 52.8 uh possession numbers every time it seemed like he had the puck on his stick you know the penguins were creating scoring chances i can't say the same for virtually almost any other defenseman i mean maybe chris letang probably and brian dumoulin but i think that was basically it marcus Pedersen, jack johnson justin schultz absolutely stunk in that series but you know what to expect moving forward for his sophomore season I might go bold here. I'm expecting 40 to 45 points offensively. I think we're going to get the big offensive explosion that a lot of people want him to have while also continuing to be elite defensively with his shot suppression numbers. He's going to continue to drive possession like it's nothing. But I'm expecting, you know, maybe somewhere around 10 goals, 30 assists next season, 10 goals, 35 assists offensively and then you know defensively you know I think his expected goals against while he's on the ice is going to be pretty low I mean he's probably going to control the expected goals at an elite level I mean you're probably going to expect at least 55 to 60 percent you know for his goals for and for goals against with how he suppresses shots you know it's, it's probably going to be one of the lower marks in the league so I'm really excited for him going into next season he's obviously going to be playing with Marcus Pedersen full-time unless Pedersen gets hurt you know then maybe they'll sign they'll slide Matheson up which hopefully that does not happen I really don't need to see Matheson with Marino but you know for this full season he's not going to be strapped to an anchor like he was for parts of last season with Jack Johnson once they finally realized that Johnson was kind of dragging him down they put Pedersen with him and it was just smooth sailing the rest of the way so I'm really excited to see how that pairing goes and how Marino plays for his sophomore season I'd honestly expect him to get a, a lot of power play time too outside of Chris Letang you're probably going to see Marino get the bulk of the second power play duties if Chris Letang gets hurt I would probably put Marino on that top power play he moves the puck um, on that unit better than any of their other defensive options I know Matheson did it in Florida but I would trust Marino far more than him I know Dumoulin could do it but I think Marino is more offensively gifted than Dumoulin at this point because I just don't think Dumoulin's offensive game is going to be coming we all we know what Dumoulin does well he, he's an elite shot suppressor as well great in his defensive zone we just don't get a lot of offense from him playmaking wise or goal scoring wise but that will wrap this episode of the locked on penguins podcast i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you guys still want to listen to me after i 
somehow mistaken Austin Matthews being on Team Canada instead of being in the USA because that was just easily, like I said, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen on this podcast. Probably the most embarrassing thing. But we'll have another episode coming out on Wednesday. Go out and vote tomorrow if you listen to this podcast from the United States. I hope you all have a great rest of your day, a great Tuesday, and I will talk to you all on Wednesday.